are living in what I would call a very painful time. I've never lived in, except for this one moment. So I can read history books. You can read history books. But, but when it comes to pain, it feels like we're living in an incredibly painful time. I picked three words to describe the time we're living in. And, and the first word is unwell. We're unwell people. There was a study in 2021 that announced that 23% of adults in America battle some sort of mental health issue. Anxiety, depression, panic attacks, among other things. That's a quarter of us. So if I was dividing this room, it'd be this whole front section right here. That's a lot of people who are unwell. And that was just in 2021. I think those numbers probably are even higher in 22 or 2023. Uh, We're unwell people. We're also lonely people. We went through this incredible season in 2020 where we just distanced from each other and we didn't get close to each other and we didn't touch each other. And I think we all sense this longing to, to get back to that. But the truth is, is that most of us have actually just carried on that pattern. And there was a study I read this week that said that over 60% of adults in America this year said that they feel lonely on a regular basis. We started this year with a series called Find Your People, where we said that there there are over 50% of adult Americans who eat all their meals alone. We're lonely people. We're unwell, we're lonely, and, and then we're wounded. As a pastor, I am hyper aware of how many people in our world are dealing with hurts and wounds from this context, from church. There's a phrase been developed for it called church hurt. And if you open up whatever your favorite social media app is, and in that search bar, you just type in hashtag church hurt, then your feed is going to fill with thousands, maybe tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of stories of people who are struggling to find and follow Jesus because of the wounds they've received in this environment. Some of that from just hurt people hurting people. Some of that from people in my position who are narcissistic and power-hungry and abusive. But there's a growing skepticism and cynicism about the church and the people who are a part of it in our world. There's There's a growing conversation of, does the church actually add value Or does it take it away? Does it make it better or does it make it harder? And this isn't just with people who don't follow Jesus. This is for people who grew up in the church and they would say, I do. But I'm not sure if the church can help me find and follow Jesus. And so in that kind of environment with people who are unwell, people who are lonely and and so much woundedness coming from this context, healthy people... Healthy leaders and healthy churches stand out. Like in a world where people are unwell and lonely, you find somebody who's healthy and it's like, wow, a unicorn, I found one. Or you step into an environment and you go, man, these people, like they actually spend time together. You know, like they actually can show up at each other's houses or call each other without having to text first. Hey, can I call you? Like, wow. Or you step into a church and you go, wow, this feels like a place where I'm not going to need a therapist after I visited it. This is amazing. It stands out. It's how I know how unhealthy and unwell our world is. Because healthy things stand out so much. 
And that's why as a church here at Cornerstone, we have some values that, that we've been intentional about building, about identifying, and really rooting ourselves in. And, and there are these moments throughout the year where it doesn't seem right to start a new series. Uh, it's like, hey, it's a Labor Day weekend. I never know if you guys are going to be here or you're going to be out on a boat. I don't know how things go in your house. I know where I'm going to be on a Sunday. That's kind of where I have to be, but I, I don't know about you. And so on these moments throughout this year that kind of are in between things, we've been walking our way through a series called Who We Are. And as the quote from Elvis Presley in the sermon intro said, our, our values are the things that give us our distinctives. They show us what we care about, what matters to us. And so throughout the last year, we've been walking our way through the values that make us unique. Not, not better. Our values don't make us better than other churches. But our values make us unique. They're the things that we uniquely care about. And today we're going to talk about one that I'm really passionate about. It may be my favorite value. It's hard to pick. They're like my, my kids. I like all eight of them. But, but this one is unique. And the value is called pursuing health together. And I want, to, I want to read you what we wrote when we put these values together in 2021. Here's this value says, Life has wounded all of us. And while past relationships may have hurt us, God uses relationships to heal us too. We seek to become a healthy church together by welcoming the hurting, showing the struggle, and trusting Jesus' healing power. This is one of the eight things that are at the core of who we are. If you cut us at a church, this is what bleeds. And these aren't just things we thought up, we got in a room and said, hey, what, what should we care about? These are things rooted in the scriptures. And so I want to encourage you, if you brought your Bible today, thank you. Uh, I encourage you to open up to the book of John, chapter 5. If you're new to church, new to the Bible, that's totally cool. You can go to the index and you'll see John. It's the fourth book in that section called the New Testament. And in John, chapter 5, we're going to dive into what I think is an awesome conversation. And as you're turning there, I just want to let you know that if, if you're unfamiliar with Jesus, or maybe you're, you're, you're too familiar with Jesus and you need to be reintroduced to him afresh and anew, Jesus asks the best questions. I mean, he asks the greatest questions. Somebody that I was reading earlier this year said that in the, in the Gospels, the four Gospels, we see Jesus ask over 300 questions. And, and sometimes those questions are um, frustrating. You know, somebody asks him a question and he responds with a question. He's like Yoda, like that, you know. But but some of Jesus' best questions are things that stop us in our tracks and force us to think harder and more intentionally than we normally do. And here in John 5, we're going to see one of those questions. Now, a little bit of context, because some of you are visual people. Th this moment that we're going to look at happens right here in this red circle at the pool of Bethesda. The arrow is pointing there. It's just above the temple. And it was a site where many sick and injured people went. And so we're going to begin reading from John chapter 5. And I haven't done this in like four months. And I'd love to have you guys stand with me as we read God's word this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be here on the screen. And Catherine's going to walk you through the verses. Beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. After this, a Jewish festival took place. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who'd been disabled for 38 years. 
And when Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he'd been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Jesus, I pray that that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray that you would fulfill the the truth of scripture, that it would be a double-edged sword cutting through bone and marrow to the heart of what you want to speak to us today. May this word be a word, may be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path this morning. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. I tell you guys often that, that when you come to church, do not check your brains at the door. Activate everything of who you are. And one of the reasons why I want you to do that today is because when Jesus sits down with somebody, I said he asks great questions. You might on the surface go, this isn't a great question. What kind of question is this? Because if you just were paying attention, you saw that Jesus asked someone who was disabled, would you like to not be disabled? Do you want to get well? I mean, on the surface, it isn't a great question. We don't typically use this word in our house, but it's a stupid question. Who asks someone who's not well if they want to get well? On the surface, you're like, not a smart question. But you and I have been around a while. We've seen some things. You and I know some people. And if you know some people, like I know some people, you know not everybody wants to get well. Maybe you today. Maybe you're dealing with something that you've been dealing with a long time. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to move beyond this thing? Do you really want to let go of that struggle or that addiction or that crutch or that weakness? That's why I said Jesus has the best questions. And some of you, if you're honest today, you really don't want to get well. Because you're too scared of what it might mean to not have this struggle anymore. Or to not face this thing. And if you don't want to get well, then the rest of this message is kind of moot. And you're probably going to have to wrestle with what it means for you. Because I don't know what you do when you decide you don't want to get well. Because this guy does. One of the commentators I studied this week, his name's John Halvard. He said, this man has one of two problems. Either he doesn't know he's sick or he doesn't want to get well. And the reason why John Halvard says this is because this man has been unwell for 38 years. I've been alive for 39. So that's my whole entire lifetime. He's been at this pool, the pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy. And he's been waiting to be healed. And so Jesus asked him in John 5, 6, do you want to get well? Your Bible may say, do you want to be healed? 
And the man says this, he says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. The belief was that when the water stirred, if you got to the pool first, you got the healing. But if you got there second or third, too late. And so this guy is hungry to get well. He wants to be healed. But the place he's been looking hasn't been able to deliver that. And Jesus stands in front of him and Jesus is actually the means to his desire. Jesus is the one who can heal him. The reason he's asking him, do you want to get well, is Jesus has within him the power to make him well. A power that was prophesied long ago. In Isaiah, the prophet wrote, hundreds of years before Jesus, they, the people of Israel, will see the glory of God, the splendor of our God, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. I mean, that's this man. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. And this man says, I, I want to get well. I want to be healed. But I, I can't get in the water. And Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk today. You're healed. And today healing comes to that man's house. And that's one of the reasons why as a church we value pursuing health together is we believe that God is still in the business of healing. We believe that Jesus didn't come to the cross and just die for our eternity. And so we're left to make the best of this life. We believe that Jesus still is in the business of healing people. And so here's the big idea this morning. If you're taking notes, I'm back and I've got blanks for you today. We want to be a church that pursues health and healing in Jesus in a world that is sick and broken in themselves. We want to be a church that pursues health and healing in Jesus in a world that is sick and broken in themselves. And the reason why I structured the big idea this way is to create a contrast. See, see we, we as a church, we want to help you find the healing that Jesus offers, the health that he offers, and we're going to pursue that and point you to it. But we live in a world that says the health and the healing you need is found as you look within yourself. That's the gospel of this world. Look deep enough within yourself and you'll find the healing you need. Look deep enough within your story and you'll find what you need. It's this gospel of, of the power within. And what we're seeing in our culture right now is the fruit of that message. The fruit of find within you the hope, the health, the healing is that you get a giant weight that goes on your back. An incredible burden to carry. Where you have to save yourself. That you have to heal yourself. That you have to make yourself healthy. That you have to become your own hope. And I have news for you this morning. You are not your savior. You can't save yourself. This summer, I, I, was, I was in California on my sabbatical, and I got news that, that Tim Keller had passed away. 
Tim Keller is a, a brilliant pastor and writer and church planner. He's, some people call him the C.S. Lewis of our generation. He's a huge impact on me. We don't agree on everything, but huge impact on me. And, I, and the days after his death, I saw a video of him talking about the fact that he was going to die. He was facing cancer. And uh, he said, my wife and I, Kathy, they've been married for many decades, said early on in our marriage, we decided that we were not going to be each other's savior. It's a great decision to make if you're married. He said, because we both knew that there was one of two ways this was going to end up. Either Jesus was going to come back for us and we were going to go to heaven or one of us was going to die before the other. And if we had to look in the casket and see our Savior dead in the casket, we knew it would devastate us. And so we decided that we were not going to be our saviors and the other person wasn't going to be our savior. And friends, part of the reason that our world is so unwell is the weight of self-salvation is crushing us. It's part of the reason so many of us struggle with anxiety and panic and depression is because we feel the weight of things we were never meant to carry. Part of what I discovered on sabbatical was part of the reason I was unhealthy is I was carrying stuff that I wasn't designed to carry. It wasn't mine to carry, it was God's. And I was trying to be responsible for things I'm not responsible for. And friends, what we need is not found within us. What we need is found in Jesus. And long before I even knew Cornerstone existed, there was another pastor who was here before me. His name was John Dickerson. And one of his favorite passages of scripture was this one. 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. If you walk away from any Sunday here and you were talking more about the person who was standing in this place than you were Jesus and the person standing in this place fail. Because I'm not your savior. And none of the people who, who spoke this summer are your savior. We're here to point you to them. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about how as a church we live out this value of pursuing health together. And if we want to pursue this value of pursuing health together, we've got to do three things. And here's the first one. If we want to pursue health together, we must welcome the hurting into our lives. We must welcome the hurting into our lives. I really wanted something to happen today. It's not going to happen. It's part of life. You can't have everything you want, especially if you wait till the last minute. I wanted to have something in the lobby. It's supposedly in the mail, so it will be in the lobby next week. But hopefully next Sunday, when you walk in the double doors in the lobby, and for those of you who watch online, you're going to have to just imagine this or come sometime and see us. But in the lobby, when you step in the lobby, you're going to step on a new welcome mat at Cornerstone. And it's going to look like this. 
Because this is not a place for people who have it all together. We have to welcome the hurting because, secret time, all of us at some point are hurting. All of us in some way are hurting. And this has to be a place we can come when we're hurting. And so this is a place where no perfect people are allowed. Because if you come and think we're per- you're perfect, we will disabuse you of that idea very quickly. And you know this. Some of you have stepped in, in, this, in this room into red seats like this. You, st- you sat in here. And the first time you came to Cornerstone, man, you were a mess. Can you remember that? Your first day at Cornerstone? Your first month at Cornerstone? Before I came and I was a candidate, and since I've been here the last seven years, I've heard tens of stories of people who came into this place and you said, you know what, Scott, I came in after the music started and I left before you were in the lobby. Because that's all I could do. Some of you who are watching from home today, you're watching from home because you're not sure with the pain you're in, you can handle coming, so you just turn on your TV. And so many times, if you grew up in church or you've been in church a long time, there is this feeling, and sometimes it's actually real, it's introduced from our environment, sometimes it's just within us. We feel this feeling that when we come, we have to wear a mask. Not a literal one, a figurative one. Where we're going to dress nice, we're going to look nice, we're going to smile, and we're going to hope that nobody asks us any questions or nobody gets close enough to see what's actually going on. Some of you grew up in homes where you heard a phrase like this, don't let them see you struggle. Don't let them see you sweat. Some of you have been living for years trying to hide the hurt. I just have one question for you. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of masking the hurt? Aren't you tired of not being able to be honest? The reason why we want to be a place where we welcome the hurting is because that's what Jesus did. Wherever he went, he was a welcoming place for hurting people. Matthew 5, it says that Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. We know him as Matthew, sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, Levi got up and began to follow Jesus. Then Levi hosted a great banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large collect crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees, religious leaders, and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you don't get honest with the fact that you are unwell, Jesus cannot help you. If you don't get honest about the fact that you have sin, you have hurt, you have struggles, you have no need for Jesus, go on your own. You don't need anything. You're your own savior. 
But for the rest of us who are a hot mess, for the rest of us who are struggling, we want to have a place where we know we can come when we don't have it together and find one who can actually do something about it. And so as a church, we're going to pursue health together. That means welcoming the hurting. So on Sundays, you may find somebody who walks in and sits near you and they may not look right. They may not smell right. Something may be off. That's okay. Welcome them. They're here too. Because out in the lobby, they stepped on that same mat. And they're not perfect. And you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. And there's space in here for all of us. Number two. If we're going to pursue health together, we must show the struggle and allow others to do the same. We must show the struggle and allow others to do the same. Now, part of where I've been the last month is my kids started school again. And we have different responsibilities in our house. My wife and I divvy things up. The lot has fallen to me to be the math homework helper. Now, luckily, they're not yet at integrated mathematics because I don't even know what that is. But it was a great picture I found. But, but as I help my kids, one of the things my kids are doing is, is they're having to do stuff like long division, which means you have to show your work. Now, we all have different personalities. Some of you guys, you're like this one over here. It's very nice penmanship. It's all in straight lines. Others of you, your work looks a little bit like this. There's lots of eraser marks, and it's kind of a hot mess. But their math teachers, they don't want to just see the answers. They want to see the work that shows they can actually figure out the answer. And so in the same way that their teachers say these three words to them, I say these three words to you. Show your work. Following Jesus sometimes is going to look a little bit like this. It's going to be messy. You're going to struggle to figure it out. You're going to stumble and fumble and fall. None of us have perfected following Jesus. So as we follow him, let's show our work. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as it is God who works in you according to his purpose and pleasure. When you work this out, you've got to figure it out. And so as a church, we want to be a place where we show our struggle. And this happened late last year. We were going through a series headed to Christmas, and we had some interviews up here with people who who'd experienced God's presence, his, his with them. And Jen Meyer sat up here with me. She's our children's director. And she shared the story of losing her son and the grief that that brought out. And, and we didn't sanitize the story. It's not like a miraculous ending where he came back to life. No, he, he was gone. He was lost. He passed away. And sitting in the seats that day was a young mom who was in the process of losing her own child. And she reached out to Jen that week. And Jen began to walk with her through that struggle. 
this summer, Jen hosted a funeral at our Rosser campus for that child. And that connection would only have happened if Jen had been willing to show the struggle and allow other people to do the same. This is the invitation Jesus gave. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a a translation called The Message that a man named Eugene Peterson worked on before he died. And here in this text where it talks about learning from Jesus, he translated that phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase because it reminds me that following Jesus includes both learning things and unlearning things. We have to learn to follow Jesus because Jesus does things differently. I've been reading through the Gospels each month this summer, and Jesus is just different. His normal way is not my normal way. So I have to learn that. But what I've also been learning is there are things that I have to actually unlearn. There are things I I just got taught and introduced to growing up that are just kind of part of me, and they're actually in the way of becoming like Jesus. Maybe that's like you. Maybe you grew up in a family where you got taught things, and as most of the time as kids, we catch more than we're actually taught. And some of you, the things you've discovered in your family of origin, you have to unlearn those things if you're going to learn and walk in the way of Jesus. Some of you went through terrible tragedy in your life, and you learned how to survive that. But what taught you how to survive is now keeping you from thriving and flourishing with Jesus. So you have to unlearn the things you learned to survive to learn the way of Jesus. Some of you have been shaped and molded by our culture, and so now you're living in ways that make sense to this world, but they're at odds with the way of Jesus. So you have to unlearn the ways of the world to learn the ways of Jesus. And that's going to be messy. You're going to struggle with that. You're going to stumble with that. And so don't hide that from us. Show it so that we can know that we can show you our struggle too. So parents this week, when you're stuck in the middle of algebra with your kids, just remember, show your work. Show your work. Finally, third, if we're going to pursue health together, we must trust in Jesus' healing power for everyone and everything. I did a deep dive into Jesus' healing power for myself this summer. Well, I was on sabbatical. Some of you who are new, I was, I was out for three months this summer. It's the longest break I've ever had in my whole life. And, and it was hard to slow down. But once I slowed down and really started diving in, I, I went deep. I read 37 books in 12 weeks. Not all of them were super spiritual, but I read a lot. I spent 25 hours with my, with my therapist. That's like two hours a week. I went deep. Because my therapist is right. The healing has to go deeper than the pain. The rest has to go deeper than the exhaustion. And so we had to get there. And what I discovered 
in that season is that there's some incredible wisdom in books. And there are some incredible principles from psychology and therapy. But if those aren't met and married to the power that Jesus has, they're not powerful enough. That's why I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd receive the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Later on in that same letter, Paul writes, Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. The reason that they were not struck down, but not destroyed, they weren't abandoned, they weren't in despair, they weren't crushed, is not because they're stronger than you and me. It's because they found the power in Jesus to heal and strengthen them. A few years ago, we had a guest speaker during COVID. His name was Carlos Whitaker. And when he was told us this phrase, he said, our help is in the natural, but our healing is in the supernatural. We believe that there is great healing to be found in all of these places. Great help. Great help. But the real source of healing is only found in Jesus. So we welcome the hurting, we show the struggle, and we trust in Jesus' healing power. That's us. We want to be a church that trusts in the health and healing that Jesus brings in a world that is sick and broken in themselves. So we care about what we value. If you want to know more about our values, you can head to our website, crescentcornerstone.com slash values. That PR seven is there. Before you flip your paper over, don't do it yet. I just want to give a quick invitation to our groups. If you're in a group that's part of Cornerstone, I just want to invite you to lean into this message. To ask yourself some questions. I'm wearing a shirt today. It's one of my favorite shirts. If you can't see it, it says Jesus is not a weekend thing. Because we believe that Jesus transforms not just our Sundays, but our everyday. So if you're in a group, I want to encourage you to ask yourself some questions this week when you meet. How will your group welcome the hurting? Because sometimes on a Monday, if your group meets on Monday, Monday's a mess. And you're a mess. And you're going, hey, should I go to group? Like, do they really want to hear about it? Do they really care? Can I show up and be honest? Or do I have to dress a little bit nicer and kind of keep my sharing PG? And do I have to not be honest? So how is your group going to welcome the hurting? Because eventually everybody in your group is going to have one of those nights. If you host the group, you'll probably have the most of those nights. How, how is your group going to show the struggle? How are you going to give each other the opportunity to work this stuff out? One of the beautiful things about being in community is people can remind you that you're not as bad as you think you are and you've made more progress than you think you have. That's why I love my friends. They're like, Scott, you're a little bit down on yourself. Step back, get some perspective. Oh, you're right. I have made progress. I have a lot to go, but I have made progress. How will your group trust 
in Jesus' healing power, how are you going to walk together through hard things and point each other to the one who heals? We're going to lean into that last one starting next week. We're going to launch a new series next Sunday just simply called Pray. And I know that one of the things that people who come to church are most insecure about is prayer. The reason I know that is when I go to your parties, I have to pray. Like somehow I've got a stronger connection than you do. Like I've got a supersize of the Holy Spirit and you have a little, you know, tiny cup. So this is going to be a different kind of series about prayer. But if we're going to be people who trust in Jesus' healing power, then we need to pray. Hope to see you back next week. Now you can flip your paper over to the back. Some next steps this morning before we close and go into communion. First, I want to encourage you to identify one way your life can embody the welcoming heart of Jesus. One way that, that your life, where you go, where you work, where you study, the people you hang out with, what's one way your life can be welcoming, can invite people in the way Jesus did? Number two, show your work to your small group or a trusted friend this week. If you're like, man, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to work this out, use that as an invitation or a reminder to call somebody or text somebody or share with your group, hey, this is where I'm, I'm figuring it out. And I don't have it all together yet, but here's, here's what I'm working on. And then three, pick a passage that was read during this message and commit it to memory as an act of trusting in Jesus' healing power. All the verses I referenced today are in your handout. I'd pick one. Because Google is great. It, you, you put in a few phrases, you'll find that verse. But you need it to be there much faster than Google. You need it to be there more deeply than Google. And let me just say before I close, thank you for being a healthy place for me. Because the first time I stepped on the stage seven years ago, I wasn't healthy. I come from a, an unhealthy environment. And I'd gotten unhealthy. My first few weeks, I had panic attacks and anxiety. And, and you welcomed me. And you gave me a place to show the struggle. And you helped me to trust in Jesus' healing power. So thank you for doing that for me. Let's do it for other people. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you heal, that you meet us where we are, that we can be hurting and we can struggle, and yet your grace is sufficient for us. Your power is actually made perfect in our weakness. And so I pray for the people who are here today who aren't where they want to be, and maybe they're not even yet honest about where they actually are. I pray that today through what they've heard from your word, would invite them into that level of honesty, that you'd meet them in that, and that you would heal them. Sometimes, Jesus, you heal us in a moment, and sometimes you heal us over a season. Some of us, that healing has been going on for years and decades, but we are not where you found us. And we give you praise for that. We pray that 
we would answer that question, do you want to get well with a resounding yes? And we would look to you as the one who does that work. In your name we pray, amen.